With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Coming up on the Money Beat podcast, yes, we have turned the calendar into 2017, but before we get too deep into the new year, let's take one last look back at the big winners and losers in 2016. This is Money Beat from the Wall Street Journal. Now from our studios in New York, here are Paul Vigna and Stephen Grosser. Hello, everybody. Happy 2017. Happy New Year. Paul Vigna, Stephen Grosser, Wall Street Journal, Money Beat Podcast, getting off the new year. And you know what I'm really happy about, Stephen Grosser? No, I have no idea. I- I'm happy. I'm, that- I'm actually surprised you're happy. I'm happy that you're here. Oh, I'm happy we have we've been missing each other for several weeks now. It feels like feels December. Like we December, any... we were just flying, you know, flying, passing each other in the night. Yes. Uh, no, it's it's good to be back. I'm 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 back from the frozen north. Back from the frozen, uh, the great white back north, in New, York, New York City. Yeah. So we are ready. We're ready to go. Sarah Crust, David Benoit. <laughs> I can't believe I Ouch. just. I <laughs> He's got a lot of love for wow, Grosser today, really not for you. Sorry, sorry, bite my tongue. I can't believe it. Actually, yeah, actually, f- mm-hmm. for a split second, mm-hmm. I was like David Benoit. Hmm. Uh, I sorry, that, man. Being you. I, I know. remember that. Uh, Sarah, how are you? I am well, thanks. How are you? I'm I'm glad that you remembered my name. I did. And look, we know it's a new year. We're ready to turn the page. We're ready to look ahead. But we have to do this, folks. We have to do one last look at 2016, at the year that was in the markets. And I have to let Stephen Grosser go, because Grosser, you you kind of prepped all this material. And this is... it's important to see where we've been to understand I mean, if, where we're going. If the market can't let go of the 20,000 mark, we can't let go. Let of go of it. It can't get to it. Yeah, get, get to it. <laughs> Forget, let go of it. It can't get to it. We can't let go of year ender. Yeah. Stop. No, I mean, this is something that I, I really actually don't want to count the number of years I've been trying to pull together winners and losers. Um, it's actually, you know, it's actually a painful process because it makes you, I mean, going back and trying to like, okay, what happened at the beginning of the year? Right. Um, I'm an old man. I don't remember uh, those things so easily. And this year was particularly hard because you had such a, like, a, like the pendulum swung so much. Um, you know, the trades, the, you know, uh, they were working out early in the year. The companies that were performing well, you know, those were not the same companies and the same trades that were working well in the second half, especially after the, you know, the post-election uh, rally. I mean, you, you really saw, you rarely see a year that was so divergent in the two halves. Right. I mean, it was really the, the best of times or the worst of uh, times. Uh, David Benoit. <laughs> I'm out of here. I'm out of here. Uh, David Benoit was threatening. Paul and I not to use yeah, that Yeah, what's, 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 what we're, do you, what we're do you beyond, got something against Dickens? N- no, but we're beyond cliches Because you were saying here. the tale of two halves. It's the tale of two halves. Yep. The tale of two cities. The tale of two halves. It's a softball, guys. It is. We're, it was, we're in hardball. How, how about, how about, it was, it was the okay of times. It was the all right of times. But like, one of the examples. How about there were winners and losers? Winners there and were losers. winners. Here, here's my question. Here's my question to you, Grosser. Can you come up with one winner in the markets, that was like, is there, or do you kind of have to break it down by sectors, by areas, you know, blah, blah, blah. Is there one 
thing in the markets in 2016 that was just so much better than everything else? And Sarah I, Krause. I actually think Sarah Krause should take this question. Yeah. I'm going to take this question. I'm going to say it was passive funds. You are. Stripes. So the one tide that did not reverse during the year was the underperformance of active managers. And for that, many of them suffered fairly heavy outflows throughout the year. But the funds that kept gobbling up new assets were index tracking mutual funds, ETFs, passive funds as a whole, I would argue, were the winners of 2016. And the question I have for you, Sarah, is going into 2017, what we saw in the last month or two was correlations breaking down and everyone talking about active managers making a comeback. Is that going to become true in 2017 or is it going to – are passive investors just – going to keep winning. That's the hope. I mean, when correlations break down, that should be active manager paradise. So I think to a degree, it's a time will tell. Um, but looking back at 2016, I mean, BlackRock put out a figure today that globally into ETFs, $375 billion in net inflows. That's a big number. Um, and I think that there is solid momentum behind that for a variety of reasons and, and reason to believe that some of those flows will continue in the new year. If active managers indeed bounce back as many of them hope to, perhaps they can start to sort of level out some of the money flowing that did flow out in 2016, but we shall see. Sarah's well, such a homer on this. Well, I mean, just, I, just back in her, her beat. Yeah, this I is... Mean, uh, no, I mean, I, I think Sarah... We had a probably. whole series. A huge series. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding, because Sarah's Should I right. tell you more about our series on Passive Investing, yeah, exactly. Dave? exactly. Um, Dave contributed to it. I was in that. Yeah. Uh, you were in that. Uh, um, she's definitely right, though, right? Like, the, the activist side underperformed for most of the year again and and i think even if i'm not even sure if it's a question of performance anymore of kind of churning this around like it's all about fees that's what people care about um yeah. and the the risk of not of underperforming and paying a fee is just too great right i think across the board you just see greater investor focus on cost and if you're unsure whether you're going to get outperformance and pay significantly more do you want to take that chance. So I, I do feel like the burden in a lot of ways is on active managers to prove that they're worth their fees or adjust to a changing world and perhaps bring some of them down. I think that's something that I'm, I'm at least watching closely in 2017 is whether that really starts to move in a meaningful way. One of the questions I have, and we're talking about uh, activists, investors, there's was one on your list, David, that I think um, had a pretty good year. That was Mr. Carl Icahn. Yep. He, he seems sure. to have a lot of good years. He, yeah, I mean, uh, he definitely. This wasn't his most profitable investment year. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say he had some. He had some poor bets. Uh, he still was stung by energy at the beginning part of the year, um, and he was really short. He's been talking about the market kind of collapsing, which is obviously not what happened. Um, but uh, he was the one of the few voices in prominent Wall Street calling uh, for the election of Donald Trump um, and an early supporter of him, uh, backed him throughout their campaign, uh, and, I mean, he had it right, and now he is in a position of prominence that I think 30 years ago people on Wall Street would have been shocked to hear that Carl Icahn is a quote-unquote special advisor to the president, um, particularly on regulatory reform means he's picking people like who's going to head the next SEC and who is leading the Environmental Protection Agency. He had a role in. Um, these are and, and these are things that directly impact his. Yeah, I was going to ask the next natural question, yeah, of course. His investments. Uh, Mr. Icon would say, you know, hey, I'm qualified to talk about these things. I, I'm not making the decision. He's not. He's not leaving his job. He's not selling anything. He's not being paid by the government. But it does raise the question whether he should have 
you know, he's in the room having the conversation he and has, whether he should be allowed in the room to have the conversation. I mean, I think, you know, whether it, you know, it's legal, he's allowed to, that's certainly. fine. Yep. But I think, you know, it's something I think we should this government should really consider going forward. I mean, is that giving, you know, someone too much say? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's it's difficult to kind of think about how to how to stop it because he's sort of an informal formal advisor at this point. Like the title is sort of just formalizing what his role has been, which is he's one of the very few people it seems like outside of the official, you know, cabinet and transition team that regularly talks to the president elect and is regularly kind of a sounding board both, you know, uh Icon shares his views, uh you know, brings up things and, and interviews this this EPA chief wasn't an icon person but Trump asked called him and said will you talk to him and my understanding is they talked three or four times and Carl made sure he agreed with this change at the EPA that Carl has been arguing for for like six months his oil refinery is almost doubled since the election the stock to your point though that that he had been sort of bearish on markets overall do you know what's happened to his portfolio since the election is this something where like he personally is ascending as or professionally ascending but some of his bets are are getting hit uh well some of his bets definitely went up i mean the oil refinery he's sure. made a ton on um it's he doesn't necessarily disclose his portfolio all that mm-hmm. well and he doesn't have investors so it's a little tough to get at um we'll know we'll know in a couple months um, he did go long the night of the election as the market was tanking down. He left the party. Points. He left the Trump party. He, he headed out of the party and, and placed a pretty bullish bet that he has sold off. I believe already. He said, "Wow." Um, so it wasn't like a, a long term thing. It was a, it was a trade. Short term. Yep. Upside. That that he is a big winner. Um, yeah. Let's see. Let's let's actually take a break here, and then we will we will come back because because we have much much more to do. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code, a lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time, resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code assistant. IBM. Let's create. I'm Veronica Dagger, and I want to retire rich. How about you? Then listen to the Watching Your Wealth podcast. We'll help you get there. For more information, check us out at wsj.com slash podcast and find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and now Spotify. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously. Now, back to the show. Hey, folks. Welcome back to the Money Beat Podcast here in the year of our Lord 2017. Uh, you want to check us out? More podcasts at wsj.com slash podcasts. You can follow us on Twitter at WSJ Podcasts. You can become a subscriber on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play Music, App, Amazon, uh, Echo, many places, all the places that you need to be. We are looking to find you there. Very excited about 2017. Yes, yes, Stephen Grosser? Oh, nothing. Oh. But I, I will take I thought you were giving me a, a little hand uh, gesture saying you wanted no, to. No, no, no. I was going to come to you. Oh, good. You should. <laughs> uh, let's go to Stephen Grosser in the studio. <laughs> I am in the studio. I'm banished once again to the studio. I, I you know, Sarah Krause. You're not in the um, studio. You're in the control room. The control room. Because we have That's this crowded true. house yeah, yeah. with Sarah Krause, Dave Benoit, and myself. But the control room is the place. You're in the control room. 
You are in control. I would like to think that. Dangerous. You need to start viewing that that. seat positively. It's a win. If you want to lower the volume on my mic, if you could figure out which button does that, then you could go ahead and do it. But don't test different options right now because we're rolling. (laughs) Just... Um, so I'm going to try to get this back onto on track here, and you know, not off Please the rails. Do. Please um, do. But one of the things I was getting getting back to the point I was making earlier about how like you saw this big switch in what was winning in the first half versus the second half, and I think one of the examples of this is gold. You know, how, like where does gold fall into the winners and losers? On one hand, it was up; it had its best first quarter on record up 16.5%. By the end of the second quarter, it was up nearly, I think, 30%, high 20s. Um, but it closed out the year with seven uh, down seven straight we- or seven of eight straight weeks. Um, the final week it finished up. and But it also was up for the year, I think 6%, which was a, a bounce back. Um, from the previous year, so it, it, it's it, you, you saw this across the board. You know, you know, from utilities to you know, like copper to you know, all these metals that like it was hard to make a decision because they had either such a good or such a right. bad and, and, you half. Know, it, it's kind of interesting. You can almost make the argument, and and this is really, I think, this is probably germane when you're thinking about investments and how long to hold on to them and when to buy, when to sell. I mean, you can also make. And I think gold is a good example of this. That you know, you can't necessarily always predict who did well or who did poor or what did well or poorly in a given year. You know, January 31st to December 2030, January 1st to December 31st is a relatively relatively arbitrary time frame. Uh, Yeah, gold looked really good earlier this year. Doesn't look so hot now, depending on what the economy does. And remember, in March, demand was so strong that one of the ETFs ran out of shares. It was in such high demand. And even through the summer, gold was raging. And then as sentiment shifts, as haven assets become less popular, you see it uh, go the the other direction. And then, I mean, like you take like tech stocks. You know, first first quarter, we're writing about how they're getting hammered. People are selling the fang. They're, you know, and then, you know, after Brexit, tech stocks start rallying. They had by midsummer, I think the five biggest companies in the S and P were all tech companies. Right, and then Trump gets elected, and they, you know, they underperform the market for the rest of the year. I mean, it, you know, it, this was over and over again. But with that said, energy stocks were one of the more, I think, interesting companies. Oh, sure. Um, it, just because. What you saw was you saw you know oil prices plummet in the first quarter right. down to under thirty dollars. Uh, energy stocks you know were hammered, but by the end of the year they were the best performing, yeah. up twenty four, almost a quarter of a. Yeah, uh, I mean look, energy and, and and oil, natural gas. Uh, diesel, th- those were clear winners this year. Uh, yeah. They were just they were up so much. I mean, and then on the other end of it, you have real estate stocks, which were guns blazing yeah. for much of the year, get their own sector, and not so much. Yeah, yeah. So how quickly things can change. And, and what about on winners? You know, anyone can jump in on this one. Uh, Goldman Sachs. Yeah, I, I mean. I mean well, I mean, I mean, and Jeez, it, Marie. <laughs> Goldman Sachs. I mean, like you know, the Dow's climbing to twenty thousand, and it's climbing there on Goldman right. Goldman's back. And this was a company that lost, you know, or saw revenue decline by forty percent in the first quarter. I mean, forty percent. People were talking yeah. like, "Is their business model broken? Are these companies ever going to be able to make money?" I mean, you know, right. you know lower for longer. Trading gone. Fic trading. Where's that? What is a bank? The Wall yeah. Street Journal questioned. 
Yeah. Um, but right. right. But Goldman. Goldman, I think, speaks to kind of what what we're all sort of dancing around. Right. This year was driven by politics. Right. Yeah. The market was right. driven by politics. And at the beginning of the year, people were hammering Hillary Clinton over her secret speeches to Goldman and her ties to Goldman Sachs. And by the end of the year, Donald Trump was naming three. Right. Three. Four, I, I think it's you know you Gary Cohn, yeah. uh, Mnuchin. Mnuchin. And, and um, uh, Bannon has Bannon. Goldman yeah, Bannon, background. Right. Yeah. I think there's one other action. I mean, the, you know, I can't think of his name. But Mnuchin and Bannon were both bankers. Well, uh, Cohen obviously yeah. is, was right. a, was a second. Uh, right, the second. But that's on, a, on a on an individual person level. But I would say that that broadly, some of the changes that Trump brings with him in terms of potential deregulation for right. banks, exactly. Um, that's and what's the path really that driving the Fed that. was on as well in terms of rising rates. Those are other sort of broader um, developments that benefit the institution as a whole. Right. Yeah, no. I mean, it, it's walking away from the Volcker rule. It's walking away from all that, you know, the money-making aspects that Goldman was extraordinarily successful at. Yeah. I mean, the other one, too, is, you know, it's the expectation of higher rates because as, as, as much as Goldman rose and drove the Dow, Bank of America, which is not in the Dow, actually outperformed Goldman after the election. Yeah. Well, I think it's... it's, it's and that's your, the most rate-sensitive... Of the banks. To Benoit's point, I mean, who's a big winner this last year? Wall Street. Yeah. I mean, Wall Street, because of the way the election went, Wall Street is a big winner. I mean, you you saw it. Election night, election day, you saw the reaction in the market. People quickly perceived what it meant that Trump won the election and the GOP was had a huge control you know, had control of, of Congress. Yep. They saw what it meant, and they were – Carl Icahn leaves the party to go make – like, they got it. They got it quick. Right. But, I mean, that, that, that I think, is one of the, the stunning turnarounds of the year. I mean, it really was. It was like, boom. Yes. I mean, the banks were already rallying on the hope of higher rates, but, like – you know, the election just added fuel to that. Right. Yes. And that's where that breakdown in correlations yeah. really started to, to get going. And interestingly, I mean, you know, is the golden boy, I think, really of the last several years for banks um, was Wells Fargo. And this sure. this year was really, you know, I think Wells Fargo's. I mean, it, it really felt like since the financial crisis, each bank took its turn. Yep. You know, you had yeah. Gold, you had Goldman sort of with Abacus. You had, um, you know, J.P. Morgan, um, City Bank City, of America, Bank of America. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the, you know, this year was Wells Fargo. I mean, you know, I think it was close to or roughly around uh, two million. You know, fake million. accounts yep. Uh, yep. that they opened right. in customers' names that the customers didn't know about. Um, the fine, yeah. the fine was very small. I mean, it was only under eighty-five million uh, fine, but the fallout has been huge. And it brought back into focus, I think, the whole bank culture issue. And I right. think that the interesting component for Wells was that this was a bank that was lauded for its ability to cross-sell, and that that sort of aggressive culture was in some ways celebrated by analysts and other sort of commentators um, because it was a boon to the bank for a long time. And then I think right. this scandal sort of showed the dangerous side of that. And that's what they're still trying to yeah. dig themselves out I mean, of. They, in a lot of they, you know, their CEO, you know, is out, um, you know, and they're it's a and, stunning fall. For yeah. The CEO, John no, I mean, uh, and you cover the banks. I mean, you know this well, David. I mean, they, you know, Wells Fargo was really the successful bank after the financial crisis yep. because it was boring. Yep, it didn't exactly. have all the Wall Street other stuff. It you know it lent you money to get a mortgage. It was the consumer bank. Right, right, exactly. It it dealt with uh, people, not not trading, and that that rose it. I mean, right, it was the biggest market cap of the banks in the U.S. Uh, and like everyone that came before it, 
it got hit hard with a scandal. Um, right. And and the scandal is obviously a very different color than mortgage-backed securities and and even you know the the mortgage issues of Bank of America and Countrywide. Um, but it is uh, it has hit them pretty hard. In right. there, and to your start. point about the fine being on the small end, I think that the the work that they're doing now, hiring consultants, paying employees to go back through and and try to right. find the accounts that were actually impacted by this and quantify the damages and then find recourse for that, that's a very long and expensive process in and of itself. So even if the immediate fine was not as earth shattering as yeah. LIBOR or mortgage related issues, right. the the long slog to writing the wrong yeah. and regaining trust mm-hmm. to keep Keep accounts opening and keeping the business moving is, is an uphill battle. Right. That's the that's the other thing that I think plays against them here is uh, it's understandable, right? Consumers broadly understand what people are talking about when someone says, "Oh, they created a fake account so they could get their own bonus up." Like it's not like a complex CDO trade that was created. Right. And, and, right. right? No. This this lands on the front page and people immediately grasp what was going on. So even if it's not as serious in some people's minds as, you know, multi-billion dollar frauds, uh, it's talked about. I mean, yeah. literally, I heard it talked about in my barber shop one day. Like, <laughs> that's not usually something I hear talked about. They're not like, what about that LIBOR scandal? Yeah, you know, right, right, it's, right. It's, it's and, the, I, and, and we had a, I mean, the Digital Mill had a great story just about, like, the steps Wells Fargo's going through to try to fix this. And it's not easy, and it's going to cost them a lot of money, because they're really trying to do this almost customer by customer in many ways. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, switching gears for a second away from politics, away from the financials, one company that's interesting, uh, it's on this list, Grosser, that you gave me that I think we should talk about is, is Twitter. Yep. No. It's my favorite loser of the year. <laughs> it is. It's your favorite I, I actually, loser. Actually, I was having a hard time, and, and it's not on the list. They were talking about, is it Twitter or Yahoo? Oh. Well, Yahoo's Yahoo been sold. in the Yeah, it Yahoo's been in the tank for so long, though. I mean... Twitter, yeah, and Twitter, I mean... How hard is it for, I mean, right, they've got this whole thing where Jack Dorsey's their CEO and also the CEO of Square. They come in, they're like, we're not going to sell, we're going to fix the thing. Right. And then they spend three weeks or something trying to sell the thing to the point where everyone knows who all the bidders were because everyone reported them all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even, you know, people who were very lightly kicking the tires on this thing. And then Salesforce, which is sort of the the one that was viewed as the most serious its shareholders revolt against its CEO who tries to convince them that it's a good deal and finally is like, well, I guess my shareholders don't want it. I'm going to walk away. That's a terrible thing to have happen to a No, company. I mean, like, yeah. they, brought back, they brought back Jack Dorsey to fix this company. He'd been CEO and founder of the company. Um, and none of the problems that, C, uh, that you know, Twitter was facing, have they been able to correct? I mean, right. their user growth is not there. Um, you know, they're having trouble, you know, with revenue. I mean, this is a Their company. executives are leaving left yeah, and right. Yeah, uh, the, the, yeah the, the the whole executive suite has been t- turned over and over. It's not just now. I mean, it's a constant yep. well, revolving it's, door there. It's, it's a constant revolving door for the CEO. I mean, how many yeah. – they, they just right. cycle through before these they even went This public. isn't even the first time Dorsey no. was CEO. Right. No, no. Right, uh, before they even went public. I you, mean, I mean cycle through these guys and everyone brings – some different, and you know, it's actually the. I don't know if you guys have read the, the built-in book, the Nick built. Yeah, 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 no. yeah. He does a really good job of kind of going through all that. They had three CEOs before they went public. Yeah, I mean, like you know, and it was all 
knives in the back, um, full on. Yeah. But I also think it's interesting that all this was happening to Twitter. It's so shares end the year 30% down in a year when it arguably had some of the highest visibility because of its use yeah. by yeah. now President-elect Donald Trump. I right. mean, this is a year where I feel like Twitter is in the headlines every day, not necessarily because of its own business, but because right. of its use as a new platform for politics, really. But well, I would, and I think I, that's the really shocking thing is th- th- Twitter has an audience. I mean, Twitter has a viable thing that is out there every single day making news, they can't make money off it. Right. They can't figure out the business model. Right. And that's been their problem since well, they were founded. And yeah, that's, no, I mean, the that's problem, a typical the problem Silicon is too, Valley thing, right? Well, you come up with a great product, but well, I mean, you don't the, care about the business the model. Is how much of a great product is it? I mean, it's a product that the media like loves and talks about right. and everyone sort of, you know, embraces. But I mean... It, the big problem with Twitter has always been the noise around it and how much people actually, their engagement with it, how much, you know, when they open up an account, they stay with it. I mean, this is the thing is their user growth is not growing. And advertisers have started to question the effectiveness of Twitter for advertising. I mean, these are real problem, uh, problems for creating a business. Right. Um, right but it arguably just won the presidency. Yeah, no. Exactly. It's it's exactly. his. He he was able to bypass the normal. I mean, he ha- had obviously other media uh, ways of getting out to people by bypassing actually talking to people, right, and just saying his own things. But Twitter is his main kind of yeah. yes. No, and you're and you're seeing it today. I mean, like you know, he's tweeting about GM and right. Ford, and and North Korea. And, yeah, and that is an impact on the stock market. And yes. you know, I mean, it is. He, he, you are right about that. But I do think the Yahoo comparison and Twitter is fair. For a primary reason, one of the biggest problems Twitter had selling itself is it still has a huge valuation. I mean, I think it's around $20 billion. Um, That's a lot of money to spend on that company. It is. uh, That's going to limit your buyers. Yep. Yep. It's... um and you think of what what kind of firm reasonably needs a platform like that? What and what is right. the ambition to get into that space? That's why Salesforce was so interesting. Yeah, it's obviously not Salesforce right. is not a consumer company. It's very much behind the scenes and everything. But uh, it's I mean, Benioff sees something which is really interesting. Um, maybe even more than than an activist investor who has not shown up in Twitter, which I also think is pretty telling because no one. Quite right. knows if you what can't to monetize it, then what is there to quote unquote right. fix? Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, we, we got one more? Well, I just wanted to get, like, you know, because I like the irony here. What is, one of, the, what is the bi- one of the biggest winners from this Trump trade? One of the biggest winners besides the Money Beat podcast? Oh, besides the Money Beat podcast. But we're always winners. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I'm not sure where you're going with this. So I was going to go Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway. Oh. And, and if you remember on Election Day, you know, Warren Buffett had not only, you know, he before Election Day, he had hosted Hillary, he had criticized Trump. Right. But he'd also rented, a, you know, a bus and was shepherding, you know, voters to the polls to get out the vote for Hillary. Uh, Trump wins, you know, and this this sort of this optimistic trade that we all saw. Where you know everyone is betting on the economy picking up, you know, de- you know, deregulation, fiscal stimulus, right, right. low taxes, uh, the economy going to four uh, percent growth. That you know, Berkshire's a bet on America. 
If American gets a 4% growth, Berkshire's going to benefit. Berkshire and, is a and, and on America. Wow. And that its is. Shares, and its shares uh, did well. I mean, it crossed uh, the market cap of Berkshire, crossed $400 billion for the first time. Um, its shares got, got around, got to an all-time high and got close to 250000 Buffett. Buffett always wins. Buffett yeah. always. Buffett, Carl Icahn, he Goldman bets on America. Sachs. You know, it's funny. A couple of these winners you're talking about, these people always seem to win. Yep. All right. We have to leave it there, everyone. Billionaires. You know, you know who win. else wins? You know who else wins? We win because we get to come back here and talk to you Paul again my name. very soon. Uh, for Sarah Krause, Stephen Grosser, Paul Vigna, and David, um, reporter Dang. at the Wall Street <laughs> Journal, uh, David. Cold. I know. David Benoit. It everyone, should be Benoit. Well, that's for another podcast. Uh, thanks for listening, folks. We'll catch up with you soon. WSJ Podcasts. Listen ambitiously.